welcome. Welcome, everybody, to Check the Mark. I'm Mark Lucero, coming to you from Dallas. The inaugural Dallas Open is taking place right now. We are here just across from the campus of SMU, Southern Methodist University. This event used to be in New York. This was the New York Open out in Long Island, which was played at the Nassau Coliseum. That event I liked because it was an excuse to go to my favorite city in the whole world, New York, pop into Manhattan, go down to the Meatpacking District, go over to the Whitney where I'm a member, see some American art, particularly contemporary art, grab a meal, do whatever, but the fan support just didn't sustain the event. Speaking of New York, I have Brian Koppelman on the show a little later. We have a great, great talk. I'm so grateful that he agreed to come on Check the Mark. Brian is the co-creator of Billions. He co-wrote movies like Rounders and Oceans 13, and his podcast, The Moment, is fantastic. I suggest you check it out. He's got a new show premiering later this month on Showtime, February 26th, called Super Pumped, which is the story of Uber. Super Pumped was shot for the most part in LA, which was great because we got to get on court a bunch of times, had him over to Carson, and then we went also got some work in on the clay at a private house in Palos Verdes. I am very grateful that, like I said, that he came on the show. I feel lucky to call him a friend. I really, really enjoy talking to him about all things, not just tennis or entertainment, but he he's a very deep thinker, and I really like picking his brain and hearing what he has to say on certain things. Now, back to the story of Dallas. This event, man, the fan support has been outstanding from the first day of qualies on Sunday to now we're midweek. The night crowds particularly have been amazing. Grant Chen, the head men's coach at SMU, has done a great job. He's like the Pied Piper of tennis, gotten the community behind this event. If you don't know the name, he's the name that every one of your favorite players knows, and they probably have his number in the phone. He's maybe the most connected guy in tennis, and just shout out to him for getting the community support here in Dallas, along with John Isner, who lives maybe a mile or two from campus here. It's just been a blast to play here in Dallas with great crowds and great fans. We've gotten to do some other fun things. I actually went to the George Bush Presidential Library, which, regardless of your politics, is a really, really cool thing to do. as the first presidential library that I have been to, and I hope to go to more. So judging by how this week has gone so far, I think the Dallas Open is here to stay. It's another really successful first-year event, kind of like the San Diego Open that happened last fall. I'm hoping that returns to the calendar. Don't look now, but if anyone told you otherwise, tennis is alive in the U.S. Let's get some more tournaments here in the United States. Let's do it. Okay, on the other side of the break, Brian Koppelman. All right, I want to welcome Brian Koppelman to Check the Mark. Brian has co-written movies like Rounders and Ocean's 13. He's the co-creator of my favorite show right now, Billions. And he has a new docu-series coming out at the end of this month, February 26th, called Super Pump, which is the story of Uber. And he's a tennis player. Brian, welcome to Check the Mark. So happy to be here. I just want to say it's not a docu-series. It's like a series like Billions, even though it's true. Starring Joe Gordon-Levitt, Uma Thurman. And uh, Kyle Chandler, because you know, docuseries people might think it's a documentary, but it's not. Uh, my like bad. A, it's it's a real. No, it's it's fine. Uh, it would it would it it it's it's no problem at all. It'd just be uh, probably like like me saying uh, you were uh, on the Challenger tour right now or something. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> okay, my bad. All right, I'm just playing around. Uh, Mark, man, you know uh, I love talking to you, dude, and uh, it's such a pleasure to be on your show. You know. Uh, uh, you know, I think the world, you're, you're so smart about the game and you're such a soulful person. You do so much good. And, you know, I love tennis so much and it, it means so much to me. And uh, just watching the way you're trying to use the game 
to help people really inspires me. And so when you asked me to have this combo, uh, I just immediately said yes. Dude, th- thank you for the kind words. I mean, uh, the, the feelings are mutual. So I want to talk yeah. about your tennis. You're a good yeah. player. I would say the strength of your game is your forehand, particularly maybe the inside-out forehand, because you can hit it pretty heavy, you know, hard with spin and get the ball up on the opponent's backhand. You know, when you were in L.A., we got on court, and we worked on sort of that transition forehand, the midcourt forehand, where you can take yeah. it on the rise and take advantage of that heavy ball. How's that, how's that going? How, tell me about your game right now. Thanks for asking. I, you know what? You're asking me at the perfect time. I, I, uh, I played a kid, uh, one of my son's buddies, 26, a guy who was captain of uh, the Yale golf team, a really, really good athlete, and he would probably have beaten me normally. He seriously loves to play, and he's a really good athlete. And like we had this one huge point where uh, I got a ball midcourt. <laughs> I got to call a ball right at the service line, kind of shoulder height. And I, you know, because you and I had grooved it and drilled it, man, I like literally was able to, you know, step around it, get in position. Uh, you know, you taught me that the net is the miss for that shot. Yes. And I fucking crushed it. And it was like the turning point of the match. And when I was walking back, I was like, I really have this shot now. You know, it wasn't like I didn't think, oh, Mark, I was like, <laughs> I had the conscious thought like that used to be a shot that had a little bit of peril attached to it because you know you feel like you should win. you feel like you should be able to take control of the point when the ball is there and but if you get into your head about it you're dead and but and, and the only way around it in a way is to one understand what the shot is or understand where the miss is but two to hit enough of them and hit them hard enough that you just do it and i but that's what happened was I wasn't really thinking. I put myself in position. I just was like, oh, ball, you know, boom. And I fucking cracked it. And I was, I, when, I, when, I, when I started walking back, I was like, I really have this shot. It's, I'm, not, I'm not faking it or I'm not hoping. You know, I might miss it, but I have the shot now. And that's, you know, really like largely because of what we worked on. So thanks. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that, that's, that's huge because when you feel like you have it, you don't feel like you're having to redline it or step outside yourself yeah. to execute. You, you know what you're doing and you know where you're trying to make the ball yeah. go. And it also means that if you, like, like you know, because I could, I'm, uh, you know, uh, as you said, I'm a, I'm a good tennis player, I'm a great tennis player. Like I could miss it, but, 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 uh, but I have the shot. And, yeah. and it's a totally different feeling because especially that shot, you know, in a weird way, it's one of those difference maker things, which is like, because it's your plus one ends up there so often, right? And you want to know, okay, I'm not going to be sitting here in my head on the plus one. I'm great. Guy pops it up. I'm stepping in and I'm ripping. And so I'm I'm starting to really uh, I'm starting to really f- feel that. And that was my first one. That was my first um, match back from COVID. So I was so happy that I still had it. You know that I, that that shot exists. Well, and, and it's hard, I think, for a lot of players because, like you said, you get ahead in a point and you think it's your point, and then all of a sudden, oh, I don't want to miss this ball. And yeah. so then you kind of fluff it and hit the ball a little too high and spinny, and then the guy hits it by you. Well, yeah, because you get tentative. Or, you know, you get tentative and you hit up. The other thing that you could do is overhit it and hit it out. Right. And that was my miss for that, in that shot was probably hitting it long. And you sort of talked to me about the fact that, well, hit it hard, but don't be thinking about trying to hit it near the baseline. You yeah, were like, to hit it high, yeah. you said, you can just hit that ball right past the service line. It's winner, you know, or if it's not a winner, your, your next shot's a winner. Cause now you're at net and you're putting the ball away. So it really framed it 
for me in a great way. I'm, I'm playing tomorrow, and I'm sure I'm going to get six of them over the fence because <laughs> I curse myself right now, but I still feel really good. About it. Oh, my God. That's like the best news I got all day. That's great. So, <laughs> well, Brian, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> so I had consumed a bunch of your work, you know, growing up and in college, like watching Rounders, but I had never known specifically that it was you behind it until I yes. came upon this Twitter thread from a bunch of years ago that you had written, and it was about basically your story from essentially being done in the business and, and having to really look in the mirror. And it, it was very inspiring to me because it seemed like so much of what I and, and people in sports deal with, where you know athletes yes, are confronted with the idea about, am I good enough? Will I ever get to where I think I can go or where other people thought I could go um, or where I was in the past? And it was so inspiring. Like, can you kind of rehash that and tell that story? Yes, I would love to. And I'm so glad you and I got to meet over, you know, some, some often people talk about how all the downsides of social media and there are downsides, but like the fact that that thread hit you, you and I went back and forth a little online. You saw that I was a tennis freak and offered to help me and like just being able to make a friendship that way has been just great, man. And, and uh, love it. I'm so glad when something I say like that inspires somebody whose work matters to me too, you know, and if I can just give a little context for it, uh, you know, so much of the battle of life at life is grappling with the fact that we're mortal and that we fail. Right. And all these kinds of failures feel like deaths. And, and, and because we're a society, we grew up in a way where we try to avoid death. We try to avoid failure. Uh, it, it, these things become really magnified and they also, you know, every kind of failure almost feels like it has the permanence the lasting effect of death, right? The great thing is that they don't, uh, but they feel like they do. And and what you're talking about is, I had a moment in my career at uh, 49 years old, after having made a bunch of movies, where um, my partner and I were fired from a high-profile television job and a movie we wrote had bombed. And an agent, who is no longer my agent, but called me and, and said, essentially, you're unhirable. I don't know where your next job is coming from, and I don't know that I can recommend a path forward. And I used to walk through Central Park and, and uh, to go to work. And I remember sitting down on this bench and, and exhaling, you know, and, and trying to allow myself to take in what he just said, you know, not just to put up defenses and be like, ah, oh, it's foolish, like to take it in. And I really thought about, well, okay, I, I might have to downsize, you know. And, uh, I wasn't even living a very elaborate life, but we had an apartment and a mortgage. And I was like, well, I might have to go home. And and I did, in fact, go home and that night and talk to Amy about if, if we were going to have to make a plan, if, if this was true. You know, did, could, could we get both kids off to college before we had to leave our apartment? And, uh, you know, if we did, where, where would we go and how would we deal with it? And because at first, you know, you, you, one tells oneself, I told myself, well, this person, this agent, this is an expert, you know, this is someone in the bit in the business and, and they're, they're, they're giving me their ruling in a way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's that moment in Moneyball when the, the guy says, uh, to, uh, Billy Bean, you know, someday, uh, we're all told we can't play the, the boys game anymore, the ball game anymore. Right. And, and so, yeah, there is, there are times where certain paths are start to be closed off. But what happened to me was, luckily, I realized slowly, and but then it, with a lot of excitement, wait a second, nobody can stop me from writing. 
nobody can stop me from creating. Nobody can stop me from remembering the thing that makes me feel alive. And that thing that makes me feel alive inside is not some expert telling me that what I do is good. It's not some buyer saying, here's uh, the money for the work. That all happens after, and it's great. What makes me feel alive is the reason I became a writer and artist to begin with is I love the way I feel when I'm in the flow of creating. And I had a story, Dave and I did, did that we wanted to tell, which was you know, we, our next story. And as we started working on it, you know, I remember trudging through the park to work and trudging slowly and feeling the weight of all this. But then as I started to work on this new thing, I started to become more and more alive again. And I started wanting to race through the park. And the words that this guy said began to recede. And you know what else began to recede? The fear. Because, mm. no, yeah, nobody could determine that but, but, but me and Dave, really. And the thing we worked on was Billions. And we wrote that first script That's with uh, Andrew, who was a third partner in it, and, and wrote the pilot without a deal in place. And then obviously got it. You know, And, and that was... I'm 55, man. That was only, you know, uh, six, seven years ago, like 48, 49, and now I'm about to turn 56. And it was everything changed as a result of that moment and as a result of being, you know, told I was done. It, it And I could have just been like, well, okay, I'm going to go try to get a teaching job. I'm going to try to – lots of things I could have tried to do. But what I remembered was what my purpose was, what my meaning was. You know, that that in fact, if I that, that there has been an, an, a relationship that Dave and I had with an audience who when we did our thing in a way that we uh, that made us feel alive, they responded to it. And we went about doing our work and were able to dramatically change our lives, uh, you know, and create something that has meant so much to so many people and that, you know, has sort of you know, made the question of that apartment. I mean, look, life's long and anything can happen. Hmm. But, you know, I don't have a mortgage on that apartment anymore because I was able to pay it off. And I didn't do it for that reason, obviously, right? I did it because I wanted to remind myself that I was a storyteller and that that was my purpose and that nobody could decide or say what I could or couldn't do. God, it's so it's so so familiar, like embracing your why like re remembering why you do something in the first place or taking that ownership and it's it's so hard when you get absorbed kind of in the result like like yeah. tennis like entertainment like in all sports you know your failures can happen in a very very public way and that's that's really it can be very feel this this feeling of very hundred percent yeah we were i, I, I mean yes the the failures I'm talking about are movie bombs and you're fired from a job like that. It's not a private thing. I mean, it's a thing that everyone in my business knows. And in fact, because of the way the world works, like people know, strangers know about me in, the, in that way. But, but it, and it goes back to the fact that I was a blocked writer until I was 30. And so I'd given a lot of thought before that to what kind of fear stops you. And that's the fear of not being perfect, not being good enough, not, you know, uh, 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 worrying that um, you, you're right, you have this too grand an idea of your capacity or your potential and uh, you know who, who am I to think that I could do this and all that stuff really defeated me for a very long time man I mean until I was 30 I, I, I couldn't produce the work and the pain was so great and then I, I had a realization 
once Amy and I had our first kid, and I wanted to be the kind of dad who would come home and tell his kid to chase his dreams, and I wasn't. And I realized if I allowed the blockage to win, the creative impulse would die. And we're back to this mortality thing again. But I realized if I allowed it to die, it, like any other death, would have a toxicity to it, and that that toxicity would ooze onto the people I loved because I'd become bitter. And, I, and that's when I realized, no, you, you, the, the, you're, you're afraid of the wrong thing. You're afraid of all this failure when what you have to really be afraid of is what if you don't try? And once I flipped that and I understood that the real cost was in letting the fear of failure win, it really set me on my course and then set me up so that 20 years later when I was 49 and I was in this crisis point, I had had certain tools already at my disposal. You know, I do morning pages every day, like out of the artist way by Julia Cameron. I meditate. I take long walks. And I already put those things in and they're sacrosanct to me. They're things I always do. And if I go back to those things, it, it helps remind me, as you're saying, why I do what I do. The benefit of doing it, meaning as soon as I started doing the work, even at 29 and 30, before anyone had read it, I realized it made me feel more alive. It made the rest of my day better because I was facing the demon and trying to get through it and, and, and allowing myself to do the thing I was afraid of. And that, that the, the, look, you know, it's so, it applies so much to sports. Um, I was a pretty good foul shooter and I practiced a ton and, uh, you know, I was in a good high school basketball team, but I never played. But I remember even intramurals, you know, you care so much to win when you're in college and you're competing and those big foul shots, man, there are times when you just can't even make your arm. Like, you feel like, how am I going to foul through my wrist? I can't even feel my arm. And you're so scared. But if you instead can flip it to the fact of, wait, I love this. I want this pressure. This pressure makes me feel great. Suddenly, you can feel your arm again and the follow through is natural. And those, so to me, those things are all very connected and, and, and relate to any kind of moment where we're, we have pressure on our, ourselves to perform, and we have to remember or find a way to love being in that fulcrum and instead of wanting to run away from it. That's You, you hit on a couple important things there, and you touched on something that I think you know is just critical, which is the work kind of away from the work, which you talked about, you know, the morning pages, the meditation, yeah. because I found the same thing. Like I, I become way less effective as a coach on tour when I'm not doing certain things, when I'm not doing my mindfulness stuff, you know, when I'm not taking yeah. care of myself, you know, all, all of a sudden my capacity to handle, you know, what's coming my way becomes, you know, way diminished. Yeah, completely. But, uh, be, because yet yeah, there's something about routine and about, um, for me, about like somehow allowing my subconscious to like wake up and, and, and engage in a positive way. And yeah, for uh, I, I'm sure that the pressureful moments when you have to be there for your guy or your woman or your coach, wherever you are, and you want to be able to not be thinking about Mark, you want to be able to be outwardly focused, clear headed in the state of flow. And so whatever you have to do to be there so you're not thinking, well, if he performs badly, it reflects badly on me. But instead, you're like able to just focus on him performing well or how to turn it around. And that takes a lot of work, actually, you know, to be that kind of present. Uh, it takes yeah. a lot of work, but we can do that work. It takes work, but the truth is we can do that work. And, and you know, uh, if I hadn't shot thousands of foul shots, it wouldn't matter how much I was like – 
did the mental trick because the other part of it is the the mental trick is I actually shot thousands and thousands of foul shots to be ready for when a foul shot mattered, you, you know? It's 100%. And, you know, I, I think like the foul shots, like probably when you're watching your show on a Sunday night, you know, when I'm sitting at a match like today, I have to get to the point where I'm not riding every single ball or not riding the result where I know that I, I feel best when I watch a match and don't really care how the result's going to go because I know over the long run we've done the things we need to do to be successful. And, and I know that if it's not this week, it's going to be next week. But when I don't feel like oh, that, it's oh, when yeah. bad things happen. <laughs> no, that makes complete sense. I mean, yeah, you know, when I watch the show Sunday night with people on, on Twitter, that's the watching the show, but when I can't do anything anymore because it's fully done, that's I, there's nothing I can do. So I have no, like you're saying, I. It, it's out. It's completely out of my hands, man. You know, so uh, I, I and I probably would. I don't know that I would watch if it weren't this kind of communal thing where people, you know, we we do it because I've watched by then so many times. But I love this idea of you being able to not focus on the result as it's happening, but instead truly get into focusing on process. I mean, poker players who are very good get very good at that too, which is obviously another thing I've studied and. Uh, it's really hard to get to that place where it's like, did I make the right decision? Why did I make that decision? And if I did, then and a three outer came and defeated me. That's a good. I, the, the, the result is that I made the right decision that I have to care about. It's not that a two outer or a three outer came and I lost the hand. Man, you, you sound like a coach I would want to play for. <laughs> so <laughs> your your time's valuable. I want to get to billions really fast. You know, this season, I love all the basketball references with Michael Prince and his background as a former player. Thanks, so man. I noticed Kareem up in the conference room. You know, we've seen the portraits of Stacey Abrams and Nelson Mandela as well. You know, obviously, you can connect the dots that all three have been leaders and walk the walk with regards to social justice. But is Michael Prince, was, is he a fan of the Showtime Lakers? Yeah, I think Kareem means a lot. I think it's Kareem means a lot to him. And and, and I would say here here's what I would say about those those things. Without uh, <laughs> I'm careful not to spoil things, but I would just say, okay. a guy like Michael Prince is really aware of the effect that these things have on the people who come to do business with him. And those people are, you know, a guy like Prince is fully like Michael Prince is fully aware of the effect he's trying to create in the room. And in what it's going to say about him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll we'll see whether there's such thing as a billionaire who can actually be good and whether his ideas about and in fact, this coming week's episode gets into some of this stuff in a really great way, I think. And, and uh, actually text me Sunday night or Monday whenever you get to watch it, because I'll be really interested in your take on, on, on the episode and, and some stuff that happens in it. Okay. The reason I ask, you know, us West Coast guys are always really sensitive about the East Coast bias. So I thought, you know, maybe we'd see like Larry Bird or, you know, one of these. I mean, I remember everyone up there. No, I mean, look, first of all, I I couldn't (laughs) give that to my friend Bill Simmons to have Larry Larry Bird's picture up. But (laughs) but I think, you know, if you look at, yeah, I mean, the the people who are on the walls there are, are, it's about, I mean, Kareem, if you're, I think if you're going to pick a basketball player to represent absolute excellence, and absolute excellence in terms of the way that person moved through the world trying to affect change. It'd be hard to do better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I absolutely agree. 
Uh, Brian, you also have a great podcast called The Moment, which is one of my favorite shows, and I'm trying to catch up on your last two episodes. You know, I told you before, in my favorite episodes are the Q&As that your daughter moderates. Um, I've taken up more than enough of your time. I know you're busy. I, I got to say thank you so much, man, for coming on. All right, pal. It's my, my absolute pleasure. hope to see you on the court soon. All right, Brian. Thanks, man. All right, Mark. Be well. Bye. Big thanks to Brian Koppelman for coming on. Brian, you're the man. I'm so grateful for you coming on Check the Mark. Follow him at Brian Koppelman on Twitter and Instagram. Check out Billions if you haven't already. Check out Super Pumped when it comes out. My bad for mislabeling the show. Apologies. Subscribe, rate, and review to Check the Mark wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Mark Lucero, at Mark Lucero on Twitter, at Mark Lucero on Instagram. Shoot me a note. Let me know what you want to hear. Let me know what you think about the show. And I will talk to you guys later from South Florida. That's where we're going next week. We're going next to Delray Beach, then Acapulco. Good swing right now. The good part of the calendar within you all is around the corner. Talk to you later. Have a good one.